Good morning, Henson. It's a great privilege for me to be here, and I bring special greetings from Allison and the kids. They were really jealous when they heard that I was going to come and visit Portland, so I bring greetings from them. Turn to your Bibles to Jonah, Jonah 1. We're going to look at the prophet Jonah, and uh, I'm excited to preach this. Love this book. So, Jonah 1. As you turn there, I would think that everybody here today would know what an opposite is. So if I would ask you, what is the opposite of stand, you will say? Sit. Sit. When I say speak up, you would say? Be quiet. Yeah. If I say go, you would? Stop or stay. There we go. Now, as we read through Jonah 1, you'll see that it's filled with opposites. I mean, the chapter we're looking at is filled with it. Jonah 1, we see God instructs Jonah, go. He goes the other way. Chaos follows, and God saves. So let's read through Jonah, Jonah 1, and just look at these opposites. Jonah 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they say to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, 
O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. As we look at the text, I divided the text into three parts, and I want us to look at three characteristics of the great God that saves. For those that make note, makes notes, it's, uh, the first one is verses one to three, our great God reveals his instruction. Then we're going to look at the great God reveals his presence, and then we're going to look at the great God reveals his saving grace. So let's look at this. First one, our great God reveals his instruction. We know that throughout the ages, God reveals his instructions to people to direct his people. And Jonah was in a privileged position. He heard God. God spoke to Jonah to bring a message. We know that Jonah was a prophet called by God. We see that Jonah prophesied against King Jeroboam II in 2 Kings 14.25, I mean, Jeroboam was, a, was an evil king. Jonah went to him and said he needs to repent and believe. He needs to turn back to God. So God spoke through Jonah. We see the Lord send a word to the prophet Jonah. God instructs Jonah, get up, go to this great city of Nineveh to do the exact same thing, to go preach the word, asking them and urging them to repent and turn to God. You need to go to those people, the people that I want to save. Go preach. Now, who was Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrians, the great enemy of God's people. I mean, they were ruthless. If you look into the Assyrians, they would abduct people from the other nations. They would torture them and show those people Like, look what we can do. Why don't you just surrender? Otherwise, we'll do it to you. I mean, they were conniving evil people. And this nation is as bad as you get. Now God tells Jonah, hey, Jonah, those people, I want you to go to them because I want to save them. Go to that city and call out to them. Otherwise, I will judge them and annihilate them. Go. Tell them I'm going to send judgment. They must repent and believe. Oh, what did Jonah think about this idea? Mm, no. No. No, God, I know you want me to go uh, to the city, but I'm going to go the opposite way. I, I don't want to go there. Now, there are several reasons for this, I believe. One is, I mean, the Assyrians were bad. If you were a friend with the Assyrians, you were the enemy of Israel, right? But I think there's a little bit a deeper meaning here. We know that in 2 Kings 17 verse 6 is that the Assyrians came in judgment against Israel. Now, we see Jonah come and say, you know what, I, I, I want to I save my city, my, my people. I'm not going to go there because otherwise God will destroy them and we will be delivered. Keep that in mind as we go through. So I think Jonah is at play here saying, okay, Lord, you want me to go that way? I'm going to go the opposite. 
So he's going to go down to Joppa to Tarshish. Now, just to get some geography here, Nineveh was the modern-day Iraq. And Tarshish is the modern-day Spain. So the Lord said, go to Iraq. And Jonah decided, I'm going to go to Spain. It's, it's the opposite way. I'm not going to go that way. He goes down into the ship, fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now, already that should raise a little bit of a bell. Fleeing from the presence of the Lord. First of all, he neglects the responsibility of a prophet. That was his job. Go and speak truth to the people. No. Going the opposite way. But not just his job. God is asking him to fulfill what God wanted to do from the beginning. He wanted to save a people for himself through all the ages. We know this. I mean, Genesis 12, verses 1 to 9, God gives Abraham that same instruction. Get up, go. I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless you. Your name would be great. There will be blessings. All the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. The Lord wants to save people to worship him. Abraham was obedient to God. He got up. And through Abraham, we all know that he's the offspring acquired the land. The nation of Israel came from him. And Jonah came from him. So Jonah should know the Lord always wants to save people. Because God is a God that wants to save people for his glory. Now, Just a side note here. God told Jonah that the evil of the city of Nineveh came before him. And now, as I repeated myself earlier, he wants to flee from the presence of the Lord. Brother, sister, let, let that just sink in for a moment. Flee from the presence of the Lord. We find safety in the Lord. Now you want to flee from the Lord? But not just that. If the city's sin came before the Lord, Jonah knew this. Now he says, well, I, I'm going to go away from the Lord. He would know Psalm 139, verse 7 to 8. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Jonah, can you hear yourself? I'm going to go and flee from the presence of the Lord. Jonah clearly didn't like what God instructed him to do. We know in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, why Jonah didn't like this. Jonah knew that God is a gracious God. He's merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. I mean, those days, they're Syrians. Really? But Jonah knew that if he's going to go preach, as God instructed him, God will save people from there. Church, if you're a believer, do you, do you engage in things that are opposite of what God instructs you to do? When it comes to working in his kingdom, when it comes to growing yourself in the knowledge of the Lord, I can't or I don't want to. Is that something that rings a bell? 
God gives us instructions from his word to expand his kingdom. Expand it in your heart to worship him more or using you to save a people for himself. Instructions like this. Work and pray for the unity and the spirit of bond of peace. Ephesians 4 verse 3. Do we do this? Caring for one another. Or do we run away because we're too busy doing the opposite of what God is instructing us to do? Watching over one another, encouraging one another, 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Regularly attending church gatherings and faithfully praying for one another. Nothing against this morning. But Hebrews 10.25 tells us, come together, gather, pray together. Rejoice in others' happiness and bear each other's burdens, Romans 12, 15 to 18. It's an instruction. Giving to the church for the furtherance of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. Fighting your own sin, Colossians 3, verse 5. Pursuing people with the gospel, evangelizing them, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. And why does God give us these instructions? It's to expand his kingdom. It's for us to be tools in his hand to expand his kingdom. For more people to come and worshiping him. God clearly has instructions so that people will know him more and worship him. Brother, sister, I'm listing all these things because the work starts in the church. If the church is united, the work will go forth. God wants this church, the church, to be healthy so that he can use it to proclaim to people that does not know him, that they would come to him and worship him with all truth. If the church is disjointed and we're not doing what God instructs us to do, we're doing the opposite from what God calls us to do, we're nothing better than Jonah, trying to flee from God's presence. God gives us instructions for a reason. He wants to reach people for himself. Can I ask you, where are you? Are you doing the opposite of God's instruction? To go to the person sitting here today that knows God and his instructions, but is doing the opposite. Can I urge you to stop? Come back to God. You cannot flee from him. You cannot swim upstream or be otherwise. God will turn you back. Which brings us to our second characteristic of God. Verses 4 to 16. Our great God reveals his presence. Again, we see in our text in verse 4, it starts with, but the Lord. So in verse 1, it says, now the Lord, the word of the Lord. Now it says, the Lord and these poor sailors, just put yourself in their shoes. They are coasting along. Jonah is sleeping at the bottom of the ship, going, rowing, and then all of a sudden, it's chaos. They had no idea that the God, the creator of heaven and earth, is coming down on a small little boat. The Lord hurls a great storm on the sea. So bad, it says, that the boat wants to break. As God threw more water and thunder, 
the more the sailors throw cargo over this, overboard. There goes the tea, there goes the salt, there goes the poor little sheep. Whatever they have on the boat, it's out. But I want us to look at this. First, Jonah went down to Joppa to find a ship to go down to Tarshish. Now he's down in the ship, laying down, snoring, fast asleep. Can you just see this spiral downwards because of the disobedience to God? It's going down and down and down. But linked to this, it's, there's, a, there's a word here or a phrase that gets repeated. It's, it's fear. And this is the first time we see the word fear. The sailors were afraid of the storm. Who caused the storm? It's God. Now imagine they're standing on, on, on the boat. And they say, hey, Johnny, you pray for your God. Uh, uh, little Billy, you, you go and you pray for your God. Wh- who's ever God, just, just pray to your God. I mean, nature is against us, right? Just, just pray to your God. Let's see. And this is the first step which God reveals himself to a healthy fear. They fear and they call out to their gods. Now the captain of the ship comes down to Jonah and basically using the same words, he's like, what are you doing? Get up. Remember God told Jonah, get up. Like, come, get up. Arise, you sleeper. In verse 7, they find themselves casting lots. Lots, which is God's way of revealing who's in sin here. God is a God that is even in control over lots. I mean, if you take two dice I bet you if you throw it, you're not going to know whether it's going to be landing on a five and a three or a, a double six or whatever. It's, it's up to luck. Not here. A God is even in control of lots. Trying to find out who's, who's caused this great horrific storm, which God did they upset, and they cast the lots. And surprise, surprise, it falls on Jonah. But then... The sailors break out in this rapid fire question. Who are you? Where are you from? Which God? What are you doing? What's going on here? In verse 9, look what Jonah says. He can't say that he's a, a prophet of the Lord. He just says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. The second time we see the word fear. It's almost like Jonah saying, I fear this great God that's causing all of this, so you are right. You should be fearful. He calls him the creator. You see all this rain, these massive waves, the the lightning, the clouds? The God that created all of this. I serve that God. I fear that God. Now in verse 10, the sailors now are exceedingly afraid. The third time, fear comes up. It's still a fear, but not a specific fear. Remember the first time it was, I f- we fear whosoever God this is. Now they fear Jonah's God. Still not specific. Because they know that Jonah is fleeing from the creator God. Now they're asking in verse 11, what shall we do to make this all stop? Jonah simply tells the sailors, pick me up. And hurl me into the sea. Again, picking up on the word of throwing overboard. 
And it's kind of humorous. In, in saying this, Jonah still wants to rather die. Instead of just, hey, um, let's just row back to where we came from. No, 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 just throw me overboard. I'd rather die than going back. Still trying to get away from the Lord. God is throwing down the storm. The sailors are throwing things overboard. And now they're even trying to row harder, working to save themselves. I can picture myself here. In December 2021, a friend and I signed up to compete in the world's most dangerous and toughest motorized boat sport. I know that was foolish, and I'll admit to that. I can still remember it's four days. You strapped into a little rubber dinghy, just a wooden platform with two sides. And on day three, I can remember we started on the beach, running towards the dinghy, jumped up, start the engine, and off we go through the waves. It was all calm and fun, jumping over the waves until we turned the corner. Black, 20 foot swells saw a shark, we were tossed back and forth, and I tried my best to balance the boat, but we couldn't. I can clearly remember during that time, probably three times, I out loud prayed and I said, Lord, now's my time, take me. It was rough. We couldn't do anything, helpless. And this is where the sailors find themselves. They row, they threw stuff overboard, they're fearful, they can't do anything. Can you imagine what these men would go through? It is fearful to fall into the hands of a living God. These men, clearly not wanting to kill another man, cried out to God. They prayed to Jonah's God. They said, Lord, we, we, we're going to cast this guy overboard but please don't judge us for this. Clearly concerned, they don't want blood on their hands. Now it's ironic, because Jonah was more than happy to have blood on his hands when it comes to Nineveh. These heathen men are starting to realize, what have we done? We are sinning against the creator God. We don't want to kill this man, but if that's the only way, we need to do this. But now they're rowing harder. But now the sea grows even more dangerous. So they took Jonah overboard with Jonah. And this is special. As soon as they threw him overboard, quiet, peaceful, wonderful. Doing the right thing might not be the easiest but it brings peace between you and God. Are you someone that is running from God, rowing as hard as you can against the storm of life, depending on yourself, or are you submitting to God's instruction? But now the fourth time, in verse six, we see fear come up. These sailors feared the Lord exceedingly, it says. 
sorry, in verse 16. And this fear wasn't shaking in their boots kind of fear. This fear was an awe-inspiring, drop-down-to-your-knees kind of fear. I'm serving the great God. First, it was the God of someone, creation, creature, don't know. Then it was, oh, the God of Jonah. Now, it's the God who creates heaven and earth. True God. They bend down and worship him. Worship with a fear-filled worship of the almighty God creator. Praising the Lord for answering their pleas. They acted out of obedience and the Lord spared their lives. Their fear drove them to obedience and then worship. Similar to Exodus 19, where Mount Sinai, where, where you see the presence of the Lord. Lightning. God revealing himself. And there's worship. They saw God's presence in the storm. They heard of his presence in Jonah's words to them, explaining who God is. And now they worship him. <coughs> Each time we read about the fear that the sailors had, they moved closer to the right fear of God. As I said, first they saw this fear, but towards creation. Then Jonah proclaims that he fears the Lord, and then they say, well, we fear Jonah's God. But now they fear the true God for themselves. Can you see through their experience how the right fear drives worship? There's revelation, confession, conversion, and worship. Can we say that we have a healthy fear of God? Is our fear of God's presence driving us into worship? Do we understand that even as we sit here, Go through day after day that God is with us. Do we understand who God is, the creator of heaven and earth? And does that help us to, to worship him and respect him for who he is? It's not a, a fear to make us work harder to please him. We, we can't be saved through our works. We know that. But the, this healthy fear stirs us to do works of holiness, servicing God or service to God, to please Him out of thankfulness because He saved us. God's presence should create a healthy fear in you to prevent you from sinning or to prevent you from hiding your sin. We're doing the opposite of what he instructs us to do. Will you, like the sailors, bow down and worship our God for who he is because you know him and his holiness as the only savior? Maybe this afternoon when you go home, just go think about this. When you think about God, who do you think about? What do you think about? Now the sailors are safe. What about Jonah? There he goes, head bopping up and down in the calm water, drifting away. He's in the sea, all by himself. 
which brings us to our third characteristic of God. Verse 17, our great God reveals his saving grace. We see God's grace at work here. Disobedient Jonah, sacrificing himself, is now drifting along, away from the boat. But not only did God save the sailors, but God sends a great fish to save Jonah. Even though Jonah was disobedient and he rejected God's instructions, he graciously saves Jonah. Why? To return to his mission. We shouldn't get distracted by the great fish, no matter what your Sunday school teacher said. Jonah's not about the great fish. It's about our great God that saves. I want us to go back to Jonah's sacrificial deed. It's through him saying, I want to die, being cast overboard, and I know that he wanted to die rather to go back, but yet still he sacrificed himself to save these sailors. I mean, he could have just stayed on the boat. Well, if I'm going to die, you're going to die. He's already expressed that by not going to Nineveh. But he sacrificed himself for the lives of the sailors. God revealed himself as Jonah speaks truth to the sailors. Now God graciously saves Jonah through his creation, a fish. And we know another man that stands in contrast with Jonah. His name is Jesus. Where Jonah did the opposite of God's instructions, Jesus, when he was asked to go, come down to earth to serve, he was obedient. He came. Where Jonah ran away, Jesus came to serve. Where Jonah hid away, Jesus boldly went out and proclaimed God's word. Jonah was a man. Jesus is God himself. Jonah deserved to die. Jesus didn't because he was perfect. The only similarity between Jonah and Jesus is that both of them sacrificed themselves. But Jonah sacrificed, only saved the sailors temporarily. These sailors would die again. Well, will die eventually. But Jesus... His sacrifice saves you for eternity. Only God can save spiritually and for eternity. Jesus fulfilled God's plan for his creation to save people for himself. Jesus sacrificed himself, absorbing the judgment storm of God for those that acknowledge the truth that they cannot save themselves. Titus 2 verse 14 says, For he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Just like the sailors in Jonah that couldn't save themselves, neither can any other person save themselves. Only those that announce and acknowledge us that Jesus is the one that saves, can be saved. It's in Christ alone, through faith alone. Now Jonah spent three days and three nights in the fish, and your mind immediately jumps to the grave, right? And I won't blame you. But not here. 
The people back then reading Jonah wouldn't immediately jump to Jesus. There's a connection here, but that's not what it means. So what does it mean? I mean, we read it in Matthew 12, verse 40, that even Jesus used it as an example. Well, in the context of Jonah, it means that God showed Jonah grace in a miraculously saving him and preserving his life. Why? It is to give the readers a sign of God's saving grace so that they can repent and turn to God, pointing people to the fact that Nineveh repented and turned to God. We read that in chapter 3 of Jonah. Just use your imagination for a while. So Jonah gets swallowed by the fish, and we know that he eventually did make it to Nineveh. But now, imagine you're on the boat, or you're on the beach, whichever one, and you see this great fish come up and bleh. There's a man, and he's walking. He's not dead. He's alive. And you row or run back to Nineveh and say, this guy that I just saw come out of a fish, he's coming to preach, and you better listen because I've never seen that. It's the same with Jesus. He says, I'm the sign. I will conquer death. I am coming out of the grave. What are you going to do about it? The Ninevites, responding to this very short sermon, which again points to Jonah's heart in chapter 3, <coughs> responded in repenting. The Pharisees that Jesus spoke to saying that I am, I'm the sign just like Jonah, what are you going to do about it? You know the Ninevites repented. What are you going to do about it? And what did they do? They rejected him. They say, not you. My question to you today is hearing about this great God that saves. He is the sign of Salvation of life. Saving the sailors because of their fear and turning to worship. Saving Jonah. And then later on in the book, we see that he, he saves people from Nineveh because Jonah's sermon. Hearing that Jesus is God and he's the only one that can save you from your sin and from death. There's a choice. You can be like the Ninevites, repent, believe, or you can be like the Pharisees in Matthew, rejecting Jesus. Will this make you turn to God in worship or run away from him, the opposite, rejecting this truth and die for eternity? Family, we know that God is a merciful and a gracious God. He is the only one that can save. God rules over instructions. God rules over the storm, the boat, the fish. Will you follow God's instructions? Or will you do the opposite in running away? Try and row against the storm and think you can save yourself. Will you do the opposite and not worshiping him as the only savior? Well, God will find you. He will. Will you acknowledge God's presence and react in worship, worshiping our great, 
God that saves. Let us pray. Our great God, it is a privilege, a privilege to know that you are the one that can save. But we do pray for those that are unsaved today. We pray that you would stir their hearts and help them to bow in fear before you in worship. But we pray for those that you want to use, that you would use us mightily in your work. Help us not to do the opposite, but help us to be in obedience, going out, preaching, witnessing, so that you can save more people for your glory, for your kingdom's sake. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.